Good morning. My name is David, and I'm an assisting priest here at Incarnation Anglican Church. It's a pleasure to be with you all this morning. Uh, psalm 18 is a something of a whopper of a psalm, though believe it or not, they do get longer. And what you have printed in your worship guide starts in the middle, mercifully, though it's very much reading the whole thing when you get the chance. It must have made a big impression on the people who are responsible for putting the Bible together because it actually occurs in the scripture twice. Um, the text of Psalm 18 is actually duplicated in 2 Samuel 22, where it serves as David's victory song to God, who delivered David from all his political and military enemies, which is exactly what the superscription to Psalm 18 says if you open up the book of Psalms. So uh, one way to read the Psalm is a part of King David's narrative. We could perhaps go through some of the battles he fought and the plots against his life and how David attributes each unlikely escape from death to God's protection. I want to approach it from a different angle, however. There's a strong case to be made that in much of the New Testament writings, quotations from the songs are presented as being spoken by Jesus himself. That is, the person speaking in the psalm is none other than Jesus, or where that reading won't work, it, the psalm is in some way about Jesus. In this way of thinking, David was more prophet than poet. The psalm's not so much prayers as oracles. They were things spoken by Jesus a thousand years in advance by Jesus, or I'm sorry, by David. I think it would be a worthwhile exercise with you today to try reading Psalm 18 as being on the lips of Jesus, and I think we'll get something more out of it. Uh, first, many psalms like this one place God right in the center of war and violence of war, and if you're used to the Bible, you might become desensitized to that fact. Uh, for many people, texts like this one can turn them off to the Bible entirely. And while I'm prepared to vigorously defend such texts for their value and importance in scripture, I think it presently more urgent to issue a warning against adopting the militaristic attitudes presented there uncritically. Asking what it means for Jesus to sing this psalm makes the warrior themes much harder to brush off or square with the nature of God. Now, whether or not you accept the idea that the earliest Christians saw the Psalms as prophetic utterances of Christ. As a devout Jew, Jesus would nonetheless have sung them on his pilgrimages to the temple. They were part of the temple liturgy. Thus, one way or another, you cannot avoid the Psalm singing Jesus. So when the Prince of Peace prays these words, you can almost hear the record scratch. How can the same Lord who commanded his disciples to love their enemies and to lay down their swords sing the words, those who hated me I destroyed and I beat them fine like dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mud of the streets. I feel like I'm cheating, but that's not a question I intend to resolve right now. I'm simply commending you to ask questions like that. And I think reading the Psalms from the perspective of Jesus helps bring such questions to the fore. Second, reading Psalm 18 as from the mouth of Jesus is necessary if we are to make sense of the verses that sounds like God saves people on the basis of their good deeds. 
For example, we have verses 20 to 24, and I'll, I'll read the NRSV version. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his ordinances were before me, and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. Therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. Now, if you've read the New Testament, how can these words possibly be true about any human individual, least of all, David? Yes, he is described as being a man after God's own heart, but God also bars David from building the temple because of all the blood he has shed. First and second Samuel don't shy away from recounting some of the horrible things he did. Thus, the only person who was truly, completely blameless in the sight of God was his son, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus alone had hands clean from evil doing. Jesus alone has kept the ways of the Lord and not departed from them. Jesus alone kept all of God's statutes. He is thus the only human who deserves to be rewarded for his righteousness. Our gospel reading today shows what Jesus thought of certain people who thought they really did have it all figured out and were therefore blameless before God. I'm, of course, speaking of the Pharisees. Now, in their defense, the Pharisees had in their Bibles texts like Psalm 18. You don't have to look hard to find other texts like it, too. So the Pharisee from Jesus' parable in Luke 18 wasn't saying anything all that different when he prays. God, I thank you that I am not like other people thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. Jesus, of course, endorses the exact opposite spirit of the wicked tax collector, who, standing far off, beats his chest and prays, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Thus, uh, we need to heed Jesus' word and make sure we do not adopt the words of Psalm 18 as a Pharisee. We put our trust for our salvation in a blameless man, the blameless man. And only by being united to him by faith can one claim this blamelessness for themselves. Third, life is hard and complex and the triumphant attitude of Psalm 18 can feel out of touch with our personal lives. There's too great of a disconnect between life as it is and the way the psalmist's life seems all sorted out in, say, verses 30 to 32. These are, in fact, the verses that inspired our own Emily Williams to suggest this psalm as part of our sermon series. If you're watching this on YouTube, Emily, hi. They're the verses that go like this. This God, his way is perfect. The promise of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who is God except the Lord, and who is a rock besides our God? The God who girded me with strength and made my way safe. I really appreciate Emily's insight into these verses. She told me that they were posted prominently in her dorm hallway her first year of college, which was a Christian college, surprise. They served as the floor verses that year. For the longest time, her relationship with them was mostly ironic. They expressed the way Emily's life was not. 
Near the end of that first year of college, a great tragedy struck several students uh, at her college, uh, one of whom lived on that same floor. And when she graduated, she struggled to find work. Interview after interview failed to secure a job in the nonprofit sector. A health condition that she thought God had healed her of in her youth came back in a big way in her 20s. And then later, pregnancy and childbirth proved to be much more of a challenge than she and her husband had anticipated. In all of this, so much in life appeared to fly in the face of her floor verses. She turned to Psalm 18, 30 to 32 again and again, but to express her frustration with God. How was his way perfect? How is he keeping Emily's way secure? Now, it turns out that in each of these challenges that have confronted her in life, God indeed showed himself faithful to those words, but it was necessary to go through all these stages in order to see it. In time, God would comfort her in her bereavement. He would put her in a position at a great nonprofit that sent her to Albania, which was very exciting for her. He brought the health condition that came back in Emily's 20s under control, and the difficult experiences of pregnancy and childbirth were marked with signs of God's blessings along the way. David first had to endure many challenges and trials before he started living the Psalm 18 life, from being an outcast hunted down in the wilderness to the deaths of his dearest loved ones. Thus, when it comes to the ways of God, perfect does not mean easy. I think reading the Psalm in light of Jesus' life serves to reinforce this insight of Emily's. Much earlier on in the psalm, in a part we didn't read, it laments, the cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of perdition assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. While these words were true in their own symbolic way when David was pursued by his enemies, they are especially true of David's descendant, Jesus. As we say in our baptismal creed, Jesus suffered death and was buried and, indeed, he descended to the place of the dead. Whereas David finally escaped his enemies, Jesus fell victim to his. The sufferings of Christ show just how hard won the victory is in the end. And if the blameless and righteous Jesus had to suffer such things, it is to be expected that those who follow him will have to go through trials as well. My prayer is that this way of reading the Psalms, or at least Psalm 18, unlocks a, a new dimension for you. And if you want to see this Christ-centered approach to the Psalms blossom into full flower, you could not do better than to read St. Augustine's Expositions on the Psalms. This is just volume one. It is six of these. Uh, it is arguably the longest thing he ever wrote, if you count them all as one work. I will close with his final words interpreting the final verses of Psalm 18. May the God of my salvation be highly exalted, and may I not, th and that's the psalm, then Augustine says, and may I not think in an earthly way about the God of my salvation, nor hope for any salvation from this earth, but set my sights high and hope in him. The psalm says, O God, you who vindicate me and have subdued whole peoples under me, now this is Augustine, you it is who avenge me by subjecting them to me, the psalm, you who set me free from my enraged enemies. Augustine says, this is from those who cried, crucify, crucify. You will lift me to safety from those who rise against me. Augustine writes, 
from the clutches of those who rose against me, this is Jesus, in my passion, you will lift me up in my resurrection. The psalm says, from the unjust man, you will tear me away. Augustine writes, freeing me from their iniquitous rule. Therefore, I will confess to you among the Gentiles, Lord. Augustine says, for it is through me, Lord, that the Gentiles will confess to you. And I will sing psalms to your name, for you will become more widely known through my, that is, Jesus' good works. God glorifies the saving exploits of his king. That's the psalm. Augustine writes, it is God who glorifies them, who makes wonderful in our eyes the deeds of deliverance his son grants to believers. The psalm says, and showing mercy to his anointed. Augustine says, it is God clearly who shows mercy to his anointed, to David and to his descendants forever, to the strong-armed liberator who overcame the world, and to those who believe in the gospel, whom he has begotten for life eternal. He shows mercy. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these prayers, and we thank you for the many dimensions that they um, about you and our own lives that they shed. God, I pray, um, whether we see in this psalm or others um, either a direct or an ironic meaning for our own lives, that you would draw our attention to how they speak of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in the name of your Son. Amen.